Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Have you ever been caught up in the emotion of a moment and made a commitment which you failed to keep? Maybe it was a girlfriend in your teenage years and you said you'd always be together and then, well, you lost interest. Uh, The character issue of commitment is at the center of our text today, Matthew 26, 30 to 56, which is the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. In our previous episode, we saw that Jesus was in the upper room explaining the significance of what's about to happen. Uh, This is the clearest section devoted to what we could call a theology of the cross in the Gospel of Matthew. And yet, uh, as we noted there, Jesus willingly steps forward and and chooses to do the, uh, God's plan, which he has set before him. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. He is the committed one. And yet, that doesn't make what he's about to do easy. Even though Jesus is in this dark hour, um, Jesus still follows through on his commitment to do the Father's will. This passage also includes for us the feeble responses of the disciples. Uh, These are like literary foils uh, showing us how great Jesus really is. So keep your eye out for the commitment of Christ in the section and how the disciples fail as uh, I read our text. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, 
Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out a sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? At that time Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Hopefully you were able to catch the theme of uh, the faithfulness of Jesus to follow through on his commitment to do God's will. Uh, The text begins with Jesus predicting that all of his disciples will leave him in fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, Jesus quotes loosely from Zechariah 13.7. Now, the original context doesn't make it clear who this stricken shepherd is. However, Matthew has quoted from Zechariah 9.9 earlier to describe the humble king who rides in on a donkey. A few verses before the quote from 13.7 describe God's action thus, And I will pour out a spirit of compassion and supplication on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that when they look on the one whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. And then in 13.1, On that day a fountain shall be opened for the city of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. So, setting aside some of the fascinating but difficult issues of interpreting Zechariah 12 to 13, Jesus sees this passage as being fulfilled in himself. He quotes from 13.7b, but 13.7a is undoubtedly significant as well. And Matthew would like for us to reflect on that too, which reads, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate. Or, even surprisingly, we could also translate that as my equal one. The struck shepherd, the equal or associate of Yahweh, who is struck so as to provide a fountain for cleansing and results in the spirit being poured out, seem to all be relevant details, at least subtly referred to uh, in this loose quotation. Certainly, Christian literature and poetry has picked up on this. William Cowper comes to mind, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. All that good theology is below the surface in this fascinating illusion. But the way Matthew uses it, he he underscores that this uh, striking is connected with a time of desertion. Peter insists that he will never deny the Lord. He and all the disciples do this. But immediately afterward, just as Jesus has said that Peter will deny him three times, uh, Peter fails three times in even staying awake. The actual denials by Peter come later, but even this immediate section shows how feeble the disciples are in keeping their promises by not being able to join Jesus in prayer in this darkest hour. Now, the choice of this particular activity is significant. Jesus clearly knows what's about to befall him. He has decided to spend the last moments of his life in prayer. He knows that he is about to fight the great battle. 
So he gathers up his spiritual strength. And, and how does he do it? By prayer. And he says, that's what his disciples need as well. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But though Jesus has asked his disciples to join him in this neediest hour, uh, they have failed. Jesus leaves them and goes by himself. This passage plays an important role in revealing how one should understand the events that follow. Again, as uh, discussed earlier, Jesus knows the reasons why he must do what he's about to do, and he's resolute in doing so, and he knows this won't be the end, and yet none of that makes what he's about to do easy. Now, it's, it's easy for many people to think that because Jesus is God, somehow the cross was just easy. After all, he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Um, instead, in, in opposition to that view, uh, that this was an easy thing, the synoptic writers are adamant in including this story before the cross. And, and sure, it's, it's actually kind of risky theologically. Theologians have wondered how all this can function and what it says about the hypostatic union and how the two natures of deity and humanity interact. Uh, But all the three synoptic writers are content to just leave all that untouched. Instead, what they care about is that we have to understand that the events that await Jesus are horrific, and Jesus knows it and still does it anyway. And even though it kind of ties us in a theological pretzel, we need to understand that the cross that lay before Jesus was agonizing. There is no spiritual shortcut. Jesus is fully man and fully God, and yet feels every blow, every whip. He he endures all the mockery and was truly shamed by the spitting and the stripping of his clothes. So on the one hand, uh, this passage emphasizes Jesus' revulsion of the cross. It's not what he wanted. It wasn't his will. And yet he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In fact, there's this kind of crescendo in the three prayers. The second, and implied in the third, says, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This isn't the human nature of Jesus talking to the divine nature of Jesus. That would confuse the persons. Uh, There's only one Jesus. But as we can all testify, we, we all experience this. Sometimes we are determined to do something even though we don't want to do it. So we do and we don't. We choose it even though we don't like it. Jesus follows through in his commitments. The disciples fail. Now, this same motif continues in the next portion of the betrayal and arrest. Again, there's the complete failure of Judas, but there's also the complete failure of the disciples. Uh, They show that, that they're trying to resist what is happening to Jesus. Peter, in particular, again, fails in his discipleship. Early on, Jesus had taught him to turn the other cheek, and now Peter's swinging his sword in someone's face. To the contrary, Jesus is determined to allow all of this to happen. Jesus says he could appeal to the Father and he would at once send more 12 legions of angels. This corresponds to the prayer from earlier. Oh, my Father, if it is possible. Well, let's think about that. Yes, it was possible in in, in the sense that there were ample resources in heaven to rescue Jesus from fate. 
Jesus knows that God can, but he also knows that this is not what God wills. It is impossible, not from the perspective of heaven's resources, but from the perspective of the divine counsel. And how does Jesus know what God's will is? We need to tread carefully here, but what the text says about how Jesus knows what the will of God is can be found in the very next verse, verse 54. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus knows that what is about to happen is the will of God because it was spelled out for him in the scriptures. The scriptures, like the one about the rejected shepherd in Zechariah 12, uh, even though many of us don't know them to our shame, Jesus did. He believed in them. He believed in them so much that he died for them. He saw all of what was about to happen, not merely as being betrayed by Judas, not merely as being turned against by the religious leaders of Israel, not merely as another instance of Roman oppression, but he saw the ominous first person, I will strike the shepherd. All of this was from the hand of Yahweh. He was sovereignly orchestrating all of the events. This was the reason why he came, to give his life as a ransom for many. And now that the hour had come, even though everyone else uh, did not have what it took to follow through, he steps forward. He sees the mob arriving, and instead of fleeing from what he sees as coming from God's hand, he says, Arise, let us be going. You know, aren't you glad that this whole project of salvation depended on Jesus and not Peter or James or John or Judas or anyone else? Aren't you glad that the mission of salvation doesn't hinge on your ability to follow through on your commitments? As we contemplate the story, we of course should aspire to be like Jesus, uh, doing the will of God no matter the cost. But, but hear me on this, you are not Jesus. If there's anyone I'm like in this story, it's, it's Peter. But that doesn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew it all. He knows my weaknesses. But the mission of salvation was not uh, committed to me. There is only one who could do this. The shepherd, Yahweh's companion, Yahweh's equal, who gave himself to be stricken to open the fountain of cleansing for my sin and yours. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu.